Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Good morning. My name is uh, David. I'm the lead pastor here at Apostles. And if I've not met you, um, just want to say welcome. So glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so excited to, to finish that up today. As we do that, I just want to pause first and invite our kids. So if you are second grade and under, second grade and under, and you want to follow these amazing folks right over here, Miss Ashley's leading the way. She's going to take you guys out to have some time to talk about Jesus. And then you guys will come back and join us in just a little bit as we share around the table. And then if you are third grade and up and you're going to be staying in here, you can come right up here to the front and grab a clipboard for your sermon scavenger hunt if you want to do that. All right, there we go. Well, if, uh, if you want to grab a Bible and open it up to those words I just read, we're going to be there in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, verses 24 through 29. There should be one in the seat back near you. If you, uh, if you need one, you can grab one of those. And uh, we're going to be ending, like I said, our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and we're going to be looking at these words of Jesus together. As you're turning there, I just want to share, I was reminded this week of a book I read recently. Has anyone ever read uh, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr? If you're not familiar with the book, it's a a beautiful book, a powerful book. It came out uh, a few years ago, but I was uh, reading that recently, and um, I thought of it uh, because of what Jesus is doing here in this passage. And it came to mind because in the story, uh, Doerr tells the story of... uh, a young German boy named Werner, and his little sister, Jutta. And they are growing up kind of in this dreary German town, uh, mining town, in the midst of the the beginnings of World War II. And so the Nazi regime is kind of spreading and taking over in Germany. And one of their only joys is they get to sneak up to the attic periodically, and they get to listen to this old radio that they actually built themselves. And so they listen to the radio, and they try to find different things, tune into different frequencies. And one night, they, they encounter this, uh, this kind of illegal, mysterious foreign radio broadcast. And they begin to listen to it every night, over and over and over. And this is what Dor writes about the first night that they heard the broadcast. He says, one night, Werner and Yuta tuned in to a scratchy broadcast in which a young man is talking in a feathery accented French about light. The brain, the voice says, is locked in total darkness. Of course, children, says the voice. It floats in a clear liquid inside your skull, never in the light. And yet the world it constructs is the mind, and the mind is full of light. It brims with color and movement. So how, children, does the brain, which lives without a spark of light, build for us a world of light? Open your eyes, he concludes, and see what you can with them before they close forever. The past few months, we've been receiving a message from Jesus, this incredible sermon on the mount from God himself. 
And it's a message, much like the message that they received that night, that encourages us uh, to open our eyes. That if we let it, this, this message, this Sermon on the Mount that we've been receiving will, will help us to see a world full of light, a world different than we might otherwise imagine. And so as Jesus ends his sermon, what Jesus wants to know, having heard all that he said, this message, the Sermon on the Mount, he wants to know if we have had our eyes opened or not. He wants to know if we have truly heard what he has been saying. Because if we have, it will actually change not just how we live, but it will change who we fundamentally are. The final verses of this famous sermon are an invitation, in other words, to see. They're an invitation to hear, an invitation to respond to everything that Jesus has been teaching us about. And so I want you to look at your Bibles with me this morning at Matthew 7, 25 and 29. We're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear Jesus speaking to us and see what it is he wants to reveal to us. So first, as we're looking at verse 24, notice that he says, everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine. Jesus really wants to make sure that we have heard. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine. That's because Jesus' words carry weight like no other words and authority like no other words you have ever heard in your life. If Jesus is God in the flesh, which is what the gospels claim, then Jesus' words are the words of God himself. And so this isn't just some life hacks. <laughs> this hasn't just been some good ideas about how to make life better. This is God speaking the words of life the living God speaking to us. And so what Jesus says, in other words, and what he is, who he is, are inseparable. His words and who he is are inseparable. What Jesus says is as true as any words could ever be. Now, that's important because that's not true for any other words you will ever hear in your life. It's not true for the words that I speak on a daily basis or that you speak on a daily basis. We often say things that we don't mean. We often say things that we don't believe. Sometimes we say things that we don't even understand. <laughs> but not Jesus. And so Jesus' words are inseparable from who he is. And because of that, they have power. His words have power. Genesis 1 God speaks creation into existence. We're told in John 1 that Jesus himself was the word. He was present at the very beginning of creation. Colossians 1, that all things have been made through him. Words create worlds, in other words. Words have power. So that means that listening to, D, to Jesus is, is kind of dangerous. Whether you've realized it or not, as we've listened to Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, it's been a various dangerous endeavor for us to do. Because if we hear them, then they really do have the power to alter our reality if we'll let them. Hearing Jesus, in other words, comes with a measure of responsibility. So as we come to the end of Jesus' teaching, we need to recognize that. So I just want to pause and kind of maybe just highlight a few things, just to think back over what we've learned over the last several months. So think about some of the things that Jesus has said in his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the most religious people in the world, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and money. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. These are Jesus' words. Difficult, beautiful, simple, and powerful. So how then can we know, based on what Jesus says here, how then can we know that we've really heard him? How can we know with confidence that we've heard what Jesus is saying to us? Jesus says there's actually a really easy way to tell if we have heard him. There are two kinds of responses, he says, to this teaching. So again, look at verse 25. He says, everyone, or 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. There's one response. And then in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus says there's only two options, to hear and do, or to hear and not do. Those are the only two responses Jesus gives us to what he has said. So the sign that we have really heard Jesus has something to do with our obedience. The apostle James echoes Jesus' teaching here in in his letter when he says this. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Do not be deceived, he says. So Jesus is saying that to hear and to not do, in other words, is to not really hear. Let me say that again. To hear and to not do is to not really hear Jesus. To know Jesus' words, but not to act on them, in other words, is not really to know him. To say that you believe and to not obey is not true faith. I, I was trying to think about what this is like on a certain level for me. And one of the things that immediately popped in my head was a set of Ikea instructions. <laughs> if you've ever bought anything from Ikea or you've ever bought anything that had to be assembled, maybe you're like me and you take a quick look at the instructions and pretty quickly after that, whether it's a bookcase or a bike or a circular saw, whatever it is that I put together, I set the instructions aside pretty quick and I just start to try to figure it out. <laughs> and basically I do it on my own. And usually what happens is after I've put it together or some version of it together, I kind of have to go back to the instructions and figure out where I went wrong. <laughs> and for me, what that highlights is in my own life, I've experienced this. There's a problem I have when it, when it comes to trying to figure out how life works. We kind of like to piece together strategies and philosophies from here and there to make life work. We don't want the instructions. We want to figure it out on our own, in a sense. 
how do we know it's going to work out? How do we know that we have a good plan? In my personal experience, when I try to live my life according to my will and my way, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. The claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus alone knows how life works because he created life. He created you and he created me and he knows you better than you know you. He knows me better than I know myself because he made me and he loves me. And so he wants to help us live in what's real and what's true. But Jesus doesn't just give us kind of cold, hard instructions like Ikea does. The Sermon on the Mount is a a guide, but it's not strictly a manual on how to live the good life. What Jesus offers us is not merely another philosophy or another religion that actually happens to work. He actually gives us life. A relationship with this creator, the one speaking the words, invites us into relationship with him. And knowing him, is what makes living with him possible. There's a kind of knowing, in other words, it comes through hearing, and there's a kind of knowing that comes through experience. And the sermon is giving us both, hearing the words and then living the words. If, one, if there's one thing, um, it's, sorry, it's one thing to know what a manual says and then kind of follow it, in other words. It's a totally different thing to say, I know my wife. And what we encounter in the Sermon on the Mount is a person, not just a set of rules and life hacks. The Sermon on the Mount comes to us through the person of Jesus and offers us a relationship. To know the living God is to interact with him, to hear him, to speak with him, to follow him, to trust and obey him. So when Jesus says, everyone who hears my words and does them, what he's saying is, those who trust me And those who will obey me, they are the ones who will experience this relationship with the living God. And conversely, Jesus says, those who hear him and don't trust him and don't obey him, they're choosing to face life without God, life apart from God, rejecting God. Now, to help us understand the implications of that choice, because it is a choice, that we all have that choice, Jesus goes in on to explain with a metaphor the consequences. And so he gives us a picture of these two guys, which I think is incredibly appropriate for today. <laughs> guys who have houses and are facing flooding, right? So the rains pour, the winds blew, and the flood waters rose, all right? So Jesus gives us this picture, these two guys. One of them has built a house on a rock, on God, life with Jesus. And on the other hand, this man's built his house on the sand, on some other way of living, on some other idea, philosophy, strategy about how life works and what matters most. And so we've got these two pictures. Now, it's interesting to me that they look the same initially. Notice they, they, they look fine for a while. They both built houses and they go for some amount of time with two great houses, Your life may look amazing, whether you've got Jesus or not. But then Jesus says something happens. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against both of these houses. And the one that was built on the rock stood, and the one that was built on the sand fell 
and it fell greatly, Jesus says. We can build our lives on a lot of things. Jesus says you can build your life on money, on material success, on power, influence, popularity, sex, comfort, pleasure. We can find all kinds of things to build our life upon. We can find causes, passions, desires, big idea, the lofty dream, whatever you put your hope in. But what Jesus says is it's like sand. It's like passing through your fingers. It's like trying to get firm footing on something that's constantly shifting. It will fail you. It will not support the weight of your life. Jesus says that he doesn't want us to live that way. He doesn't want us to have our lives fall apart. And so when the storms come, he says, we'll find out what we built our life upon. Storms reveal foundations, in other words. So when you're questioning your worth because you've lost everything, your job, your marriage, children, whatever you've lost, in that moment you'll begin to question what you've built your life on. When you're struggling to have hope because of the suffering you're enduring, when the loss and the betrayal and the confusion you feel seems too great to bear. If you haven't trusted God before that moment, Jesus says, just be careful because the chances are you're not gonna suddenly begin to trust him in the midst of the storms. In fact, most of us go the opposite way. If we haven't built a life on Jesus, if we're not trusting in him and the storms come, we actually begin to blame God for the storms. If you haven't trusted God and you say you believe, but you really don't, what Jesus says is your life will bear that out because life is hard. And when storms come, the truth rises to the surface. And it's not just the storms of life that Jesus is talking about here. He's been very clear leading up to this passage. He's talking about not just our temporal life, but our eternal life. It's the final storm when we face our mortality. What will be the evidence of a life well lived, a life worthy of eternity with God? What will be the basis of God's acceptance of us when we come before him and face just judgment for the life that we have lived? When that storm comes, Jesus says a life built on his words and on him will stand. And a life built on anything else or anyone else will fall. Now this brings up a lot of questions. And not the least of which is, how are we made right with God then? Does Jesus' words here, does his teaching mean that we are actually not saved by grace through faith, but by works? In other words, does does God accept us based on how well we obey him? Is that what is kind of laced into the teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount? Many, many have thought so. And because of that, they've either embraced a way of living that embraces works or they've shied away from the Sermon on the Mount because it makes them uncomfortable. How do you reconcile this? How is it possible for Jesus to teach that salvation is by grace alone and yet make entrance into heaven dependent somehow on how we live, on our works? First, I would say we have to read the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' words here in light of the whole gospel. We don't just 
pull out parts and try to understand them. We want to hear everything that Jesus says. Jesus says, listen to all the words that I've said, in other words. The Bible does not teach salvation by grace in one place, in other words, and then by good works in another. So there's actually not a conflict. How do we work this out then? Life with God, salvation always comes through faith, through believing. But, but faith is not merely intellectual or verbal assent. It's not just knowing the right things about Jesus. Jesus says it's not enough to say you believe. It's not enough to call me Lord, Lord. You must act on that belief. Otherwise, it's not true faith. The Apostle James put it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith actually save him? The answer is no. And Jesus agrees. What we believe and how we live are connected. If you want to know what you believe, look at how you live. It'll tell you what you believe. How you live reveals what your life is built on, and if it's built on Jesus, it will endure. That's what Jesus is saying here. Endure not just in this life, but for eternity. The Sermon on the Mount isn't ultimately about how to have the good life. It's about how to have life with God now and forever. To build your house on the rock is to say to Jesus, Jesus, you are it. You are enough. You are all that I need. To Build on the rock is to say to him, I trust you because I know that you love me and that you provide for me and that you're the one who can heal me and you're the one who can protect me even in the face of the rain and the floods and the winds. The good news is that we can obey him because he has given us his spirit to help us and he did that because he loves us. He loves us and so through his love, through his spirit, we can actually live into that obedience with faith. And when we fail, because we will fail, he is the rock who is underneath us and he will strengthen us and he will build us back up. So even when life throws its worst at us, even when we disobey, Christ will be there holding us up and leading us through it. That's the promise of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus took the worst of our life. He took the worst of the world, all the evil of the human heart, my sin and your sin and through his death on the cross, he took our place and he overcame all of it He overcame the greatest storms. In him we have life that nothing can take from us if we will trust and obey. So whatever storms we are facing, I just want to encourage you, Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. He will help you endure because he has gone before you. We can trust him. He loves us and he will never fail us. And so the invitation of the Sermon on the Mount, the invitation of Jesus' teaching The invitation of his heart is trust me and obey me. The Sermon on the Mount ends with these words. And it'd be easy to kind of skip on to the next section of the gospel and miss what is being said here. But I just want to close my sermon and our series with what it says here at the end of chapter 7. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Notice why they're astonished. They're astonished in part because of what he taught them, but more so how he taught them. He taught them as one who had authority. Why should we listen to anything that Jesus says? 
Why should we trust him? Why should we obey him? Here in the sermon, Jesus says there's one reason and one reason only. It's because he alone has authority. It's the way he taught because of who he is. Jesus has authority because who he is, and he is who he said he was, the son of the living God, God in the flesh. If we believe that, then we can hear his words and we can believe that they're true. They're the truest things that anyone has ever said to us and they have power. They can accomplish what they say in your heart and in my heart. They can transform us and our lives. If we believe in this Jesus who has authority because he is the son of God, he is worthy of our trust. So let him be our rock. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your teaching. Jesus, that there's not just words, but it's, it's your words. It's words of life and hope and peace. And Lord, we're here this morning because we need life and hope and peace. Lord, you know the exact things that each heart in this room needs to hear. Lord, to be encouraged, to be reminded that you love them, that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, I just pray if there are parts of our life or if maybe our whole life is being built on something other than you, Jesus, would you reveal that? Lord, we wanna build on you because you are the one true rock. And so Lord, it's never too late to move from sand to rock. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. So Lord, would you help us to build our lives on you and you alone. Lord, help us to hear what you have said and to put it into practice that you might be glorified, the living, holy, and beautiful God. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.